in a sense of separating it and looking at it that way, I think there's things that we've been able to gain specifically in what Paul has talked about. And it all kind of ties back together because each piece that we've looked at, it really has tied us back into the first verse of chapter number 8. That there is there now for no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And that's what's going to be the core of what we're looking at tonight and the, the verses in particular that we're looking at this evening. So Romans chapter number 8, verse 33 and 34, the Bible says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And I want you to notice tonight, just like we noticed last week, Paul has changed his argument, so to speak, from what to who. If we remember back last week in verse number 30, it said, or uh, not verse number 30, verse number 31. He said, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So we understand we looked at the what's in verse number 27 and 28. We looked at a who last week in verse number 31 and 32. But Paul continues this in verse number 33. He says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? So it's likely that he's pointing us back to the same person that we looked at last week. Is it God? Is it is God that justifieth? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, and is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. So Paul's laying out, he, he's, he's laid out the attacks that's coming against us. If God be for us, who can be against us? And now he's looking at the accusations that come against us. So we've looked at the circumstances in our life that seemingly come against us. We can all have the comfort and the foundation that Paul has built for us or shown us, kind of moved back everything and let us see the foundation. But we have a hope that the, our case has been closed. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, Christ did not love you for your good works. So his continual love is not based on them. God loves you because he loves you. And that being said, the case of accusation against us is closed because of God's love. And that's why we sung the song that we sung tonight. Because of God's love, the accusations against us are closed. There's something that overpowered those accusations. And we even remember back from verse number 29 and verse number 30 that it is because God loved us that He has set us apart. But we see this in two specific ways. We see two specific characters in these verses of Scripture tonight. First of all, we're going to look at the accuser in verse number 30. 33, the first part, verse number 33. And then verse number 33, the last part, and into verse number 34, we're going to look at the justifier. And I'm, I'm amazed at and continue to be amazed at how our Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and even Wednesday nights seem to fit together. And I know we've said this before, but it's almost like the Bible's about one thing. Because we keep seeing this justifier, this just and this justifier in the text of Scripture. And we keep seeing this just and this justifier on our Wednesday nights, as we go through looking at God, who God is, at what the gospel is, on Sunday mornings, that we've, as we've looked at what the gospel means, even from the time we started in the book of Ruth, we went through revisions, all of these things, we keep seeing this same theme played out over and over. And that theme is that ultimately 
we have rest and safety found in the gospel. Verse number 33, we see the accuser again. It says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? This is a little bit further. It's a little step further than what we looked at last week. Last week we saw who can be against us. And practically speaking, it may look like people are against us. And it may look like Satan is against us. But we know that we have that safety in the love of God. And I won't belabor that because we looked at it last week. But Paul takes us a step further back into the courtroom scene. And he says... Who can lay anything at the charge of God's elect? That's the question. And it's another rhetorical question. Paul's not expecting an answer because he expects everything that he said up to this point to be his answer for who can lay anything at the charge of God's elect. There's a few things in looking at this text Sinclair Ferguson, for example, he he said that this was one of the darts that the devil throws at us. He said some of the darts that the devil throws at you is that God is against you. And whenever he can't convince you that God is against you, he comes against you and shows himself that way. But again, we covered those last week. In this section, covers one of those other darts that Sinclair Ferguson mentioned. And that is, if I can't get, God, get you to see that God is against you, then he's going to say, I'm against you, and you have no defense. And we talked about, we alluded to some of that last week when we talked about speeding in Mecklenburg County and getting caught or not getting caught. We talked about some of that last week, but that's in essence what Satan comes at us with, is that we have sinned and he makes out like we have no defense because we know he's right. When I do things, I know what I've done. He doesn't have to convince me that I have sinned because I know that I have sinned. But again, we find our comfort and we find our solution to this case. And we find that this case has been closed in the gospel. If I were to get taken to court today, to a lower court for something, and I knew that the Supreme Court had already ruled in my favor, the lower courts wouldn't bother me. And that's in essence what Paul is conveying to us. If we were to look at this in a a practical or in a physical sense, the Supreme Court has already ruled in our favor because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And because that Supreme Court has ruled in our favor, there's no lower court that stands stands up against that. And that's what Paul is going to continue to say in this verse. When we see and we understand that these things are not in jeopardy, we can understand that the case before us has been closed by what Jesus Christ has done. But I do want to look at two practical things that we do see Satan bring against us. Two things that we have in our life that we can look around and say practically, these things have happened to me. Or I can see these things happening on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis. Number one, the devil comes to us. And again, this is alluding back to what Sinclair Ferguson had said. And he tells us that we're a sinner. He points to the fact that we keep failing. 
And sometimes I'm, I'm convinced sometimes we don't even need the devil's help to look at the fact that we keep failing because we look at ourselves and there are times that there are people around us that won't let us forget that we keep failing. And with that comes the thought that if we keep failing, why would God even keep picking us back up? I've mentioned before, that's the view that I had of God at one point in time in my life. I had a wrong view of God. I expected God to either hold things against me or put, I would be in a place where I would feel like I could not pray until I had done enough good to work myself back into God's good favor. But that's not the case. But that is exactly the way that the devil works in us. That's the way that our minds are twisted to think about God. It's, it's a way to get our, our view off of God and what He's done for us and put it back on ourselves. And the gospel is an extroverted thing. The gospel is to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author and He will be the perfecter of our faith and that's who we're to look to. But there's those aspects so we understand that it may come to us that we're a sinner. And what this automatically turns us to is that our adoption is somehow in jeopardy. We think that if I don't somehow maintain my zeal for God, then God's going to, he may not, he may not send me to hell, but he's going to at least sit me on the side. He's going to sit me over here, never going to use me. I've heard that statement made. I've even had those same thoughts myself, but I've heard that statement made that, well, I didn't do what God wanted me to do this day, and he just set me on the shelf never to use me again. I've heard that statement made by people, and that is a statement that is saddening because it's not a statement that's according to Scripture. Or I keep being under this sin. This sin keeps me down all the time, and for whatever reason... That is going to put my adoption in jeopardy. It's almost like we have a thought. And, and, and my mind went to a couple of different movies that I've seen. I can't recall exactly which ones they were. But you see the movie where somebody gets adopted and they are almost skittish to do things because they're afraid that their adoptive parents are going to unadopt them if they don't live a certain way. And that's, that's, for whatever reason, that's the view that we seem to carry of God. That if we don't live in a certain way, then He is going to reject us. He's not going to be as approving of us as our brethren who may be doing something different than we are. But it's that focus on the gospel that we keep coming back to. When we see that everything is done, it's the motivation to do the things that we need to do. We don't have to live in a fear of losing our adoption and live in a fear of every single failure because Christ has taken care of those failures. And if we are in Christ, we are not going to be kicked to the curb unless God kicks Christ to the curb, and that can't happen. And Paul goes into why these things can't happen. He says, who is going to lay a charge to God's elect? And then he explains that. And again, this is some of the stuff that we've looked at on Wednesday nights. It says, it is God that justifieth. And he stops with a period. Basically, what Paul's telling us is that only the one who justifies can condemn. 
I can't walk into a courtroom and be condemned by somebody else in the courtroom. It has to be the judge that brings my trial to bear. Nobody else in the courtroom has any bearing on anything except for what I'm before the judge to face. If I go in for a traffic violation, if I ran a stop sign, there's nobody else in that courtroom that can accuse me of anything else except for what I'm there for. So Paul's saying, if God is the one who is the judge, and we understand that God is the just judge of the universe, if God is the one who is the judge, John chapter 3 says that he didn't send God into the world to condemn the world because the world was under condemnation already. God was already in judgment of all those who were outside of Christ. Even if we look around today, those around us today that are under judgment are under judgment because they're not in Christ. But what Paul is pointing out to us is that God is the one that justifies. And if He's the one that justifies, nobody else can bring any condemnation against us. The word justifieth here is an interesting word. It's a present tense word. It means it's continual. Paul didn't stop and say that God had justified you, which he has. We understand that he has. But he says that it is God that justifieth. Paul is letting the Roman church know that you have assurance that nothing can ever be brought against you in regards to your sin. Because it is God that has justified you. That action of justification has been completed. There's nothing that could come against us. Nobody can lay any charge at the feet of God's elect because God has justified them and continues to bear out that justification on a daily basis. We can look every day back and have that assurance that God has justified us. And then Paul goes on. Verse number 34, he tells us how this justification took place and we find the gospel. Verse number 34, he said, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that that is risen again, who even is at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Christ has paid it all. What Paul does is he literally breaks down this for us practically. He says, God has justified us. Who can condemn us? There's nobody that can, that can bring that condemnation because only the one who is the judge can condemn you. If the judge has justified you, then you can't be condemned. And he gives us the reason why. In verse number 34, Christ has paid it. What Paul is saying is that our justification is a result of Christ's death. There's nothing that can be laying to the the charge of God's elect because Christ's payment was accepted. If Christ's payment would not have been accepted, then somebody could lay a charge of God's elect. And even further than that, if Christ's payment wasn't enough for those who had been elect, then somebody could lay a charge at their feet. But Christ came and He accomplished what He said He would accomplish. 
He said it is finished and he meant it is finished. The payment was complete. There was no sin to those who would believe that was left unpunished. He drank the entire wrath of God against those who would believe. Everything was done. Anything that God does now cannot be done toward his children in wrath because that wrath has been poured out on his son. God must deal with us in mercy because of what he does. And even further than that, God deals with us in love. Even when we are corrected, when we are disciplined, Hebrews chapter number 12 tells us that it's done in love. He says, and, and, and this, this struck me whenever I read it, back, this has probably been three years ago, I guess now. Hebrews 12 said, he said that, he said, not like your earthly parents who did it for, I forget exactly how, how exactly he says it, but he said, basically says, your earthly parents disciplined you for them, but God disciplines you for you. And basically what that, what that said to me is, and that's the case, most of the time, while I do discipline my kids because I love them, the discipline is spurned from them not listening to what I said or not doing something that I wanted them to do or acting in a way that brought reproach on my name. <laughs> what Paul tells us through the author, or I guess what the author of Hebrews tells us, I, would, I don't think it's Paul, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. What the author of Hebrew tells us is that God deals with us only out of love. And he does that because all of the wrath has already been poured out on Christ. So we see that the case can be closed in that sense because Jesus paid for all that sin. Even if we look at Colossians chapter number 3, it said that he took that whole debt of sin, everything that was written against us, expunged it all, and it said he nailed it to the cross, just like they would take receipts. And even some of the gas stations around here still do it. They'll take receipts, and they'll put the, the receipts through that little, that little pin where they have a hole in them after that. That's basically what Christ did with our sin, is he's taken them, and he's punched them through, and they're paid for. But what Paul does in this verse is he circles around and even points to our sanctification. He says that we can't be condemned, because Christ died. And he says, yea, rather, that he is risen again. So not only is our justification safe, but our sanctification is sure. The resurrection of Christ validated that Christ lived a righteous life. And that's what the scripture tells us. Christ didn't just die for our sin, but he lived a righteous life for us also. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 said that he took on our sin and he gives us his righteousness. If he had not lived a completely righteous life, then God, he would not have resurrected. His resurrection was a validation that he lived righteously. And what Paul is telling us is that there can be nothing laid to the charge of God's elect because the sins are paid for, but even the failures are taken care of because you have Christ's righteousness on your account. When God looks at us, He sees us righteous like Christ because that is what has been imputed to us. So our sanctification is secured just as our justification is taken care of. And that's why nothing can be laid to our charge. That's Paul's argument. 
Paul's answer to his rhetorical question is that our justification is taken care of and our sanctification is secure. And he's even telling us this just in case we've forgotten that he said the same thing two or three verses earlier. Paul tells us that our justification, sanctification, and our glorification is secure. That it's the gospel that brings us all the way home. Not only do we see Christ's death played out in our justification, we see He is risen when our sanctification is secure. But thirdly, Paul mentions that He is actively doing something for us right now. Verse number 34. Who is even at the right hand of God? When I read that, my mind went back to an argument that the disciples were having. They thought Christ was going to be coming into his kingdom. And they said, all right, which one of us gets to sit your right hand? And they started arguing about that because that was a place of prominence. See, Christ didn't even have to argue about that. He just went and sat down at the right hand of God. And he's doing something while he's there. Even in this, we see Christ still acting on our behalf. Those disciples were looking for a place of authority and a place of respect where they wouldn't have to be the servants, but they could be served. We even see this because Christ, right after this, he starts to wash their feet, serving them after they're wanting a place of respect. But that's what Christ, who has done these things for us, he steps into that place of prominence and is still working on our behalf. Says that he is there at the right hand of God and making intercession for us. And that reminds us of something in verse number 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. This answers those questions. Who can be against us? If you have the Son at the right hand of God and making intercession for you, and you have the Spirit helping you when you pray, making intercession for you, how do you lose? You can kind of imagine this, this accusation going something like this. So we have the accuser coming before God. And in a sense, this accuser comes and sits down. If we, if we want to paint a courtroom scene, this accuser comes and sits down on the right-hand side as the prosecutor. Satan comes, the accuser of the brethren, sits down as a prosecutor. On the defense, you've got God the Son and God the Holy Spirit both making intercession for us. And we have the just judge sitting behind the desk. That's, that's the picture that we see. So if we have God who is justified, is our just judge, and we have the Son and the Holy Spirit who are making intercession for us, I don't think that we're going to lose this. Because the judge has already told us that the case has been closed. The gavel has already rang. And even so, we've got the Son and the Spirit interceding for us. So if we were to play this out... Satan comes and he accuses us. Christ looks back and he says, all this is mine. 
All these are mine. I don't care what he's saying about them. They're mine. He looks at his father and he says, you gave them to me before the world began. I died for them. I paid for them. I bore their wrath. I live again for them. Send my spirit to help encourage them. That's what Christ is doing on our behalf. There can be no charge laid at the feet of God's elect because Christ has taken care of everything for us. And again, we've looked at how God is the just and the justifier. God is the just judge, but he's also the one who has justified us through his son. When it comes down to it, and this is, this is something that we all have to get a hold of practically, is that Jesus is all the approval that we need. Amen. We don't have to look to ourselves for approval. We don't have to look to other people for approval. We don't have to try and win everybody's attention in this area. I know even, I think it was even, even one, of, one of the people that I knew growing up used to say that if you try to make everybody happy, you're going to make somebody mad anyway. But your approval's in Christ. You don't have to try and make anybody happy because you've already been approved of in Him. And that's the only one that matters. That's the only one that we need. I was reading this week uh, about some of the things that churches used to do. And I meant to do this when I drove through town, and I should have. And I, I think I may be right in when I say this, but Miss Amy can correct me if I'm not. Are the Lutheran doors, the Lutheran, the Lutheran church I go, are their doors, what, do you know what color they are? I thought so. There's a reason that they painted the church doors red. A lot of the way that the Lutherans do things, we've kind of missed out on it, honestly. If, if you were to look at why they did that, and a lot of the churches used to do it. A lot of churches used to paint their doors red. And they did it to signify the blood of Christ. That when you entered into the church, spiritually speaking, you entered through the blood of Christ. When you're born again, you enter through the blood of Christ, the blood that He shed. And that puts you on a level plane. Out in the world, we never, we're never able to measure up. We never fit in. But there's a place that we've been accepted and we've been accepted in the beloved and that's in Jesus Christ. It's that place that we have that approval. So no matter what charge is brought against God's elect, seemingly brought against us, we have a place of rest. That's why Jesus said what he did. He said, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy and laden, and I will give you rest. That's what we've been given. We don't have to stress out. I know that even, even, again, practically speaking, the times that I've had to go to court, my stomach will be in all in knots, and I'll be completely stressed out because I don't necessarily know what the outcome is. If I knew that it was already taken care of, I wouldn't be worried about it. 
but I don't know if I'm gonna have to pay the ticket. I don't know if it's gonna go on my insurance. I don't know all these things. It's a bunch of unknowns that I don't know about. And half the time before, about a year ago, I didn't even know how the court system really worked. So I had all these stresses coming against me and there was no rest the night before. But we can understand from what Paul has given us in Romans 33 and 34 that it's because Christ died, rose again, and is making intercession for us that we can have rest in Him. He's already prepared everything. He's taken care of everything. All we have to do is rest in Him. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be in your house again tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you have closed the case against us. Lord, that you are the just 